0: Speaking. Episode 25. February 2020. Tongues of Scotland. A conversation with Roz Steen. Hello, Paul Meyer here with my latest podcast from Paul Meyer Dialect Services and the International Dialects of English Archive. We'll get to Roz Steen and Scotland in a few minutes, but first, what have I been up to since my last podcast? Well, pilot season is upon us. That's the period when American producers make standalone episodes, pilots of TV series they hope to sell to the networks. That means a lot of work for dialect coaches like me, helping actors prepare for these important auditions. This month I've been coaching Australian, Russian, and all kinds of British accents and dialects for pilot season. See my Skype coaching page on com to learn about this distance coaching service. And I've been working on several productions, too. One Man, Two Governors, and Dear Lupin, both British plays. By the Bog of Cats and The Man of No Importance, both Irish plays. Yet another production of Fiddler on the Roof, Yiddish and Russian accents, of course. And Silent Sky, which calls for a Scottish dialect. Very apropos this podcast. For musicals and plays that are frequently produced, I lease my dialect designs to companies producing them. I make a separate recording for each character and coach the actor through every line he or she speaks. This has proved particularly popular with theatre companies that don't have the budget for a resident dialect coach. I've never heard of any other coach offering this service. Again, all the details at paulmeyer.com. My library now has nearly 150 shows from Angels in America to You Can't Take It With You. Now, what's become a favorite with listeners? Guess that accent. Last time I played this clip and challenged you to say where on the planet the speaker grew up.
1: A couple years later down the road, I get a phone call. Can we adopt a
0: dog from my son and my wife? I wanted a jet black dog. They showed me a picture. Again, when they showed me a picture, it was basically a redhead, and I said, no way. They brought him home, and to this day, seven years later, he's my favorite friend. If you guessed Massachusetts, congratulations. It was Ideas Massachusetts 15, submitted by associate editor Bryn Austin. The subject was born and raised in Fall River, 50 miles south of Boston but lived most of his life in the greater Boston area to hear the whole recording search for massachusetts 15 at dialectsarchive.com now here's this month's challenge where did this speaker spend her formative years
1: i am graduate uh, university and work uh, in um, in some factory like engineer 20 years and in fifty eight I come to United States and start studying English.
0: Get the answer next time on In a Manner of Speaking. My guest this month is Roz Steen, professor emeritus and fellow of the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and a famous Glasgow-based voice coach for theatre, film and television with over 250 credits to her name. She is also Ideas Associate Editor for Scotland. For more information about Roz, please see the Inner Manner of Speaking webpage devoted to this podcast at PaulMeyer.com. So Roz, lovely to speak with you. We've been working together for years and years and years and yet have never spoken. But thanks to the wonders of the internet, we, uh, we're finally talking face to face and doing a wonderful podcast on all things to do with Scottish language and dialect. But first of all, Ros Steen doesn't sound a particularly Scottish name.
1: It's not. My parents grew up in Scotland. My one set of grandparents grew up in Scotland, but the other set of grandparents were immigrants from really, I suppose now what they call the Pale of Settlement, you call Lithuania, and they came with the wave of Jewish immigration towards the end of the 19th century. Got it. Uh, But Steen's my husband's name, not mine, but they have a similar story.
0: Great. So, uh, what part of Scotland did you grow up in? Glasgow. And, And you've lived in Glasgow almost your entire life?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: A true native. So let's start off with you telling me about Scotland's three official languages. I think that most people understand that there is a thing called Irish, which is a separate language, and people understand that there's Welsh, a separate language from the Welsh English, but I think it's less well-known worldwide that Scottish has its own language unintelligible to English speakers, right?
1: Well, not completely unintelligible, I would say, and there's a debate really as to whether Scots is a completely separate language or the broader form, if you like, of Scottish English. And that Scots speakers are on a continuum, if you like, from standard Scottish English right through to Scots. But Scots is recognised as an official language, a minority language, English in Britain comes from the Angles, the Jutes and the Saxons, the Germanic tribes that invaded around the 5th century AD. Of these groups, the Jutes and the Saxons settle in the south of England, and actually the word Sassanach, meaning a non-Scot, comes from Saxon. But the Angles are the biggest group. They come up the whole of England. They give their name to England. They give their name to English. They come up through Northumbria, which is in the north east of England, just south of the border with Scotland. And they come over, which is now the border with Scotland, right up to Edinburgh, and they bring their tongue with them. There are similarities between speech in Northumberland and Scotland, but Scotland is at that time, give or take, is a separate nation. It's a kingdom with its own king, its own parliament, its own legal system, its own education, its language. And how that Anglo-Saxon tongue develops differently north of the border to south of the border in Northumberland is part of, how can I put it, it's part of the fact that Whether something has the status of a language or a dialect is not totally dependent on linguistic factors, in fact, but historical, political, cultural ones.
0: One has heard the phrase, a language is a dialect with an army.
1: And a navy, absolutely, Max Weinrich. That is exactly right. There are other factors at play that, apart from the purely linguistic, and even then, there's no complete universal agreement between scholars about what makes a language, what makes a dialect. For our purposes, well into the medieval period and so on, Scots is used as a separate language of a separate country for all purposes. And there's a wonderful literature, wonderful medieval literature in Scots. But what happens to be very broad brush stroke is that when Elizabeth I of England that is Shakespeare's Elizabeth when Elizabeth I of England dies, she has no children as we know, she never married, she had no children. And James VI of Scotland, who was made a Queen of Scots son, becomes James the of England. And the court moves down to London. As you can imagine, English begins to have dominance over Scots now. Over the centuries, Scots becomes relegated to the status of a dialect. So Scotland becomes part of Britain in that way. The language becomes to be regarded over the centuries as bad English or slang. And there are people that would say that today, that it's not proper English. Well, it's not. It's proper Scots, however. (laughs) There we have it until... There are attempts in the 20th century to revitalize the language. One of the problems, as I'm sure you know, and your um, listeners are aware, is that when you revitalize a language, you can run into problems of it being slightly artificially constructed. If you start using old words that people don't use now, then you run the risk of incomprehension, and you run the risk of it possibly being slightly stilted, slightly artificial. In listening to Scots, depending on how strong it is, it might indeed be not comprehensible to some people. Although you may still recognise within it some words that you would understand, you would know. For others, you might have to go to a glossary.
0: So so this is Quite different then from the status of, of Irish within Ireland and Welsh within, within Wales, that, where those are completely separate languages, incomprehensible to English, correct?
1: Well, the reason that Irish and we- Welsh are incomprehensible to English is because they come from a Celtic root. So does Scottish Gaelic. And that's a completely different branch of the Indo-European languages than the Germanic root. Scots and English are cognate because they come from the same Germanic root. That's why I say it may not be quite as incomprehensible as Scottish Gaelic would be for me. It would be like learning a completely different language. It doesn't look like English. It's not pronounced as English. I would be learning it as a foreign language, as, as I learn Swedish or an African language or anything else. There's nothing cognate about it. But with Scots and Scottish English, there is. And that's where the contention, the contentious debate is as to whether Scots is completely separate as a language or actually is a form of English that is has strong features of its own.
0: Can you demonstrate uh, these different shades of of language uh, and their varying levels of uh, intelligibility to an English speaker?
1: Well, if I give you what I would call a small piece written in Scottish English, and I'll, I'll just speak it to you now, it's a fine old machine, I assured him, then slipped in a quick commercial which glossed over the typewriter's crucial lack of the letter I. I'll give you a wee demo if you like. Adjusting the creased sheet of paper, a briskly typed. There, how's that? He shrugged his skinny shoulders. Hanged if I know. Haven't I got my reading specs? He tugged from his pocket a hanky so clatty it would have been the talk of the steamy. Now that's a good example of Scottish English in that, I hope there are lots of things you would understand in there, or your listeners will understand. He shrugged his skinny shoulders. He tugged from his pocket a hanky. I assured him then slipped into a commercial. So quite a lot of that you could actually, uh, you could actually say an RP, for example, if you wanted to. But mm-hmm. then you've got old, A-U-L-D for old. You've got we meaning small or little, everybody knows that one. You've got a little grammatical change in the word have nee, have-not, that nee, uh We have can dinny, that any e that goes on to words is a grammatical difference. I had
0: clarty or clatty for dirty, right?
1: Clarty is dirty. And then you've got the talk of the steamy. The steamy was the washhouses that... People in Glasgow, in the old days, who didn't have washing machines and all of that. They would go to the steamy. They would take their washing to the steamy and, you know, they'd wash it there. A laundry, really. Well, so the talk of the steamy was gossip, you know, hot gossip. Or he or she was the talk of the steamy because of what they'd done. So, but there's a lot of English in that.
0: So that's what we call Scottish English.
1: I would say it's Scottish English. In as much as there are Scots words in it, there's a grammatical difference, and obviously I'm my accent, the sound system that I'm using. So these would be the features of Scottish English. But by and large, most people would understand most of that. If I give you a stronger Scots piece of text, mm-hmm. Lenny Buchan was harrigal thin, his knees as nobly as twa piece stuck doing a pair of drinking straws. A force plant was bringed up our scene to greet the sun, and I look at Pelewali as if affronted o his prodigious growth. He hunched his sell up and he travelled, his neb dripped, his in water, and his skimpy grey school bricks was, God's sakes, glued with daubs of bubblegum. <laughs> Stains of suspicious broon clung about the lux of so his doubt. And now this wasn't enough to damn the creator for favour forever. He had skyry reed hair peppered with dandruff, a plucky face, wee bald bits in his head, and a niff. Now there the vocabulary is very, very dense. You know, even I would have to look up some of it. But that's the strong end, if you like, of this, either this continuum from Scottish English, or you would say that's separate enough to be regarded as a different language.
0: That's a wonderful distinction, and I'm learning a lot here. Thank you.
1: You wouldn't want to be Lenny Bachin, in other words. Poor soul. (laughs) It's not a picture of beauty.
0: I'm going to put on the website the texts that you have spoken so that our listeners can actually read the text while they listen to you. But here's my question. Even with the recognizably English words, the spelling is different, similar to the way D.H. Lawrence would have written English from the black country to represent the local pronunciation. Is that in fact the origin of the Scottish English spelling? That it's an attempt to use the Roman alphabet to indicate the local pronunciation? Or is it something, something more organic?
1: I'm not entirely sure because I think, as you know, spelling conventions aren't set until quite late on in English and And in Scots as well, there have been attempts to standardise Scottish spelling.
0: I know from my study of Shakespeare's original pronunciation, which I derive from the great David Crystal. So I know how English was pronounced in 1600 or thereabouts, before James came down from Scotland. And we also know that English wasn't standardised in its spelling mm-hmm. until around that period. So, so in that English and Scottish have mingled for the last four hundred years, I wonder why Scottish English hasn't been standardised more, and, and why it still looks like an attempt to use the very unreliable Roman alphabet to indicate Scottish pronunciation. Let me get at the question another way. Within the various pronunciations, within the regional accents of Scotland, would Scottish English be spelled differently to reflect those those differences in pronunciation? Or is there one convention, one spelling convention for the whole of Scotland, regardless of how it's pronounced locally?
1: Well, I think the Scots Language Society attempted to put, um, what would you say, the style sheet for spelling. But I mean, you know, Richt would be spelled R-I-C-H-T everywhere. There isn't another way to write it because that's how it's pronounced. Richt meaning right.
0: I'm thinking of words like mother, which I often see spelled M-I-T-H-E-R Mither.
1: That's how it would be pronounced, Mither, yes. But mm-hmm. you, could equally say it, you could equally see it as M-O-T-H-E-R but some people in reading that might say Mither because that's how they would pronounce that word. Uh, you also get just while we're on it, a D for T-H in Shetland. So that would be Medar. If it was being written in Shetland, it would be written M-I-D-D-E-R.
0: So there are are local differences in spelling conventions to reflect the different accents. It reminds me, Raz, of the investigation I did about uh, the Jamaican language, which of course suffered the same indignity of being castigated as substandard English and and only in the the last generation or two has it achieved the status of a language and and been honoured by an orthography. So there is that attempt to legitimise and ennoble (laughs) the the Jamaican language in the same way as you're speaking of about Scottish, presumably.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Talk to me about Scottish Standard English and the four major dialect divisions. This was something you'd, you'd given me to ponder. And a fifth being outside Scotland, you'd say. That would, that would yes. intrigued me.
1: Yes. When we're talking about the dialect divisions of Scots, and I just want to be clear about one thing that we haven't yet really touched on, which is that a good chunk of Scotland, which was Gaelic-speaking, speak what we would call Highland English, but they never spoke Scots. So the four dialect divisions within Scotland... Big dialect divisions. If you start at the top of the map, if you're looking at Scotland, off the mainland coast, they'll have two boxes of archipelagos. One is Orkney, which is the one that's nearer the mainland coast of Scotland, and the other is Shetland, which is even further out, although it doesn't look like it on the map, but they are quite far out in fact shetland is almost halfway between norway and scotland so the dialects of orkney and shetland are what's called insular scots and they are both influenced by scandinavian
0: can you give us a little sample
1: Ooh, i can if you give me a minute to find something Orkney is more Scottish than, than Shetland because it's near, it's more influenced by the Scottish mainland. Shetland, they would say something like, uh, two years is that long, that would be a big new year for you then. You're going down to Market Cross for midnight. I'm too old for that. I'll be the only one over 18. True enough, mind, we were just the same. We were never just that bad. Really?
0: It's recognisably its own dialect for sure. So that's insular.
1: These islands were given to Scotland as part of a dowry, because a Scandinavian princess was betrothed to James III of Scotland. So we didn't get them, I think, about the 15th century, which is why there's such a strong substratum of the old Norn language. So then you come into the mainland, and you've got northern Scots. And northern Scots, really, the big dialect area is the northeast around Aberdeen, and It's the heartland of Scots speakers. Again, a very strong dialect literature. Because they were cut off with the Grampian Mountains and so on, these dialects or ways of speaking were more conservative and held a lot of features of Scots. There are pockets of Northern Scots a, a little bit further up in Cape Ness, but they're surrounded really by um, what were Gaelic speakers and now Highland English speakers.
0: Can you give us an example of Northern Scots?
1: Oh, Right. There's nothing I hear folks speaking that why I just got other the historic that I could possibly give them. So that's letting them see that I'm not caring a about their English, that I'm a native of this bit of Scotland. And I'd very much like to keep our native tongue alive. And there's nothing bothers me mere when I'm in company to hear my ain folk coming away with great long gashes of English, mere or less. Something like that.
0: Just as a sidebar, I was thinking of all the Scottish films and actors that I knew, and uh, uh, Billy Connolly, who is a Glaswegian, came mm-hmm. to mind playing Mr. John Brown, an Aberdeen man, uh, in the film Mrs. Brown with Judy Dench. And I, I, it occurred to me to ask you, uh, how's Billy Connolly's Aberdeenshire?
1: I have a feeling that there was a, a modification of the way he spoke, but I'm not sure there was any particular attempt to make him Aberdeen.
0: Okay, Northern Scots, number
1: three. So that's your Northern Scots. And then you come into the Central region, which is by far where most people live, really. And that's broadly divided into East Central, which you would say is where Edinburgh would be the big centre there. But also a bit north of the 4th, you've got Fife, Dundee and so on. And West Central and Glasgow would be the big influence there. And then you've got Southern Scots, the borders. The speech of Southern Scots, it's not so much that it's strongly dialect, to my ear anyway, like the North East, it's just a holding of identity in the sound. It shares a lot of characteristics with the border ballads. And of course, as you know, the borders were, they were called the debatable lands. There was fighting for centuries between England and Scotland over the borders and who they belonged to and so on, and a lot of the balladry of the time captured that almost lawless Wild West period. And the border ballads, like all the folk ballads really in in Scotland and elsewhere, I would assume, are simple, direct, clear, I think of the curlews on the moor, really, and the way the bird song and the music of the, some of the border ballads goes into the speech. That's how I think, anyway, of Southern Scots. So the play that I worked on, a wonderful play that became one of the seminal plays of modern Scottish writing called Bondagers. I'm just looking for it now. I worked on a revival of it again recently. And the Bondagers, in the old farming system sort of the turn of the century when a a man was hired to work on a farm they had to provide a female worker along with them and these women were called bondagers I mean sometimes they were maybe a sister family member but very often they weren't they were women that worked if I think of a tune from if I think of a border ballad so I'm thinking of tune, directness, simplicity. So you get something like Ettrick Forest is a seemly forest, and it grows money a tree," and you get that rising phrase. and you get it in the speech. Uh, no, really, I didn't. I didn't like the heart, and then I kind of didn't okay, I didn't, I didn't fancy the heart. Well, that was just all oh, the fashion, you see, for for the borders, and the were. Well, you've got Neuragood for the harvest, that was your Neuragood for the harvest. That slightly back, R ah, that you get all down the East Coast, the heart, the heart. And a simplicity, uh, you know, you would hear, I'm a shepherd. My father was a shepherd now, you see. Mofford Water, just over the top of the hill. Simple, clear, tune. Ah, uh, I can't explain, uh, the identity of being Scots on that side of the border.
0: So that's the, the fifth area outside Scotland that you're speaking of, right?
1: Ah, now the fifth area outside Scotland is Ullens or Ulster Scots, and it's a pocket of Scots influence speech in part of Northern Ireland that came about because, again, James I sent people from Scotland to settle lands that he had taken away from the Ulster chiefs.
0: Can you Um, think of any plays or films that explore that
1: culture? The one play that I worked on that had Ulster Scots in it and where I first heard it actually is a play called Heritage by Nicola McCartney, which again has become a real kind of modern Scottish classic. But I don't think I have that enough in my head to Do it for you. But you will get examples of it um, on the internet, and it is a mixture.
0: Most people forget how very, very close in miles Northern Ireland and Scotland are.
1: Absolutely, and the traffic between them.
0: Here's a question. I worked, uh, perhaps you have too, on Brian Friel's translations, very much the story of how the colonial English came into Ireland. Mm -hmm. redrew the map, renamed the towns, outlawed the speaking of Irish. And I wondered, was there a similar hegemony by the English in Scotland?
1: Yes, absolutely. When it comes to Scottish Gaelic, that's exactly what happened. After the Jacobite Rebellion, when that was the attempt to put a Stuart King, the last of the Stuart Kings, Bonnie Prince Charlie on the throne, when that was defeated by the English, They set out to really, I suppose you would say now to smash the Gaelic culture. They forbade people, the Highlanders to speak Gaelic, they forbade them to wear the tartan, they forbade, they wanted to dismantle the clan system and so on. Those people that spoke Gaelic had to speak English and went straight into speaking English and they never spoke Scots. That's where the Highland English sound or accent comes from? It comes from this Gaelic substratum, even though a very small percentage of people are monoglot. Well, a very small percentage of people are Gaelic speakers altogether. It's something like 1% of the population in the last census and of those, very few will be monoglot speakers because the children all learn English when they go to school. That's exactly what happened to Gaelic. They were forbidden to speak it.
0: Can you give us an example of what you're speaking of?
1: I can give you an example of Highland English, but not Gaelic. I don't speak Gaelic at all. So I would say that uh, Highland English sounds, I tend to think of the phrase Lewis, Harris and Rum. Lewis, that very tight E sound comes from, from the Gaelic Harris, slightly back R, and Rum, which is not quite an R, but an uh. But also, it's, uh, you get the devoicing of chairs for chairs uh, and so on. Uh, what else do you get? I think of it as, I think sometimes of these places, of Lewis and Harris and so on, as being thin places. And by that I mean places where the boundary between, you would say, maybe the, the material world and uh, the spiritual world are not thin, that boundary, shall we say. What else can I say about it? The Celtic ancestry in it is still, you know, strong hospitality, music, clan loyalties, that sort of thing, I would say. And some of our words, of course, some of the Gaelic words like ceilidh and cairn and claymore came into Scots. That's my feel of it. That's, that's great.
0: I'm going to ask you now to read that little piece of the New Testament, which you say illustrates the difficulties of language revitalization.
1: This is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. His mother Mary was trysted till Joseph, but afore they were married, she was fun to be with bairn with the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, honest man, had nae mind to affront her afore the world, and was for bracken after tryst Hindland-wise, and say he was e'en etlin today, when an angel of the Lord caithed to him in a dream, and said to him, Joseph, son of David, be named feared to take Mary, your trusted wife, until your hame. The bairn she is carrying is o' the Holy spirit. She will bear a son, and the name you are to give him is Jesus, but he will soft his folk frae their sins. Ah, this happened, at the word spoken by the Lord through the prophet, might be fulfilled. Behold the virgin we book and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, that is, God with us. When he had walked for free his sleep, Joseph did as the angel had bidden him, and took his trusted wife home with him. But he now with her, or she bear a son, and he called the bairn Jesus.
0: And I love that. What's beditna?
1: Well, there's a mood point. This seems to me where we possibly get into the area of artificiality what the writer is capturing it says but he bed it now with her meaning he didn't go to bed with her in other words she was a virgin but i have never heard anybody say bed it now
0: so it's an academic coinage in in a sense
1: I hesitate in case some people do say bed it now, but I have to say I've never, I've never personally come across it, either anybody saying it, or even in reading, actually, for that matter. And also, you've got the word book, but it's spelt B-O-U-K, which is just confusing. It means to swell, book or buk, but with that spelling. I've never heard anybody say that. I'm not saying it's not a Scottish word, it's probably... It could well be, I mean, for example, Hindland-wise. Nobody says Hindland-wise that I know of. Again, apologies if there are some people who use it. I've never heard it. And in all the years of teaching Scots, I've never come across it. So I have to look up the glossary. What does it mean? It means secretly. It's from years ago.
0: So it's a revival of an archaic lexical item, perhaps.
1: Other things would be well recognisable. The IT ending for ED. People do say that, Tristit.
0: Give me that second sentence once again. His mother Mary.
1: His mother Mary was Tristit till Joseph, but afore they were married, she was fun to be we bairn by the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, on that second hearing, I'm sure the listeners understand everything, even down to Tristit. Betrothed, she was.
1: Yes, but married, most people would say married or married.
0: Yeah, how yeah. about Tristit? Would that be heard?
1: No, would you be trusted to somebody or engaged or you know? It's an older word, but then also one has to be aware. I presume that because it's biblical or you know the New Testament, the writer is also trying to give it, uh, I suppose, a certain formality, of, of course, and a certain perhaps a certain sound.
0: Let's switch to. Uh, oh no, you were going to promise. You promised me some Winnie the Pooh.
1: So this is a little bit about when Pooh goes to visit Rabbit. And as we know, Pooh likes a little something at 11 o'clock in the morning. Pooh, I liked a wee snister at 11 o'clock in the morning. And he was guy pleased to see Rabbit bringing out the plates and tassies. And when Rabbit said, honey, or condensed milk, will you breed? He was that kettled up. He said, baith. And sign say, didn't he seem grabby? He added, uh, but did a the fash about the breed, if you will. And for a lang while after yawn, he did say ocht. Till at last, by to himself in a claggy kind of voice, he got up, cushily shook Rabbit by the loof, and said he had to be getting a lang. Do you hate it? Rabbit speared politely. Well, said Pooh, I could bide a bit of langer if it, uh, if ye, uh... and he tried guy hard to keek in the ear to the pantry. As a matter of fact, said Rabbit, I was just going to myself, myself anew. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So in closing, um, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and um, tell me if there will be a second Scottish referendum on oh. Scotland's independence from England. And if 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 it flies and Scotland does become an, a nation uh, within the European Union and a, and a sovereign nation totally autonomous, what will be the future of the Scottish language?
1: Well, we're in the middle of an interesting period <laughs> interesting in the Chinese sense. Scotland, as you know, by and large voted to remain in Europe. They were not for Brexit. They vote for the Scottish National Party in our very recent elections, they won more seats than before. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that people would vote again in a second referendum for independence. There was a lot of protest voting within that, I think. And the first referendum, or the only referendum we've had on the subject, there was quite a majority that voted not to be independent Scotland. If there's a second referendum, if Scotland were to become, again, a separate nation... That's an interesting question about Scots, because 99% of the country identifies speaking English in the last census. And would Scots get, would we start writing the laws in Scots and would we start changing our education system so everybody spoke it? I'm not sure really that that would happen. But we're still only talking about a small percentage of people that would speak it. And if you are going to have Scots as a full-blown language, what would be the Scots word for computer or digital or all the things, technological terms? Are we going to change our medical terms into Scots? I don't know is the answer as to whether English would ever in that way be driven out and replaced by Scots. I think it unlikely, but... That's as far as my crystal ball takes me at the
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that was uh, a little murky, but there's definitely some shapes taking place within that crystal ball. So thank you so very much, Ross.
1: Thank you for asking me.
0: And thanks to you for joining, Ross Steen and me, Paul Meyer. The texts from which Professor Steen quoted are used under the copyright doctrine of fair use. And you can read those texts on the webpage for this podcast at Paulmyer dot com. Please follow Paul Meyer Dialect Services on Facebook and me on Twitter at dialect Paul. And if you want to learn to talk like a scot, my book, the general Scottish dialect, available on my website and Amazon in several formats, will be of interest to you. It's also part of my dialects of the British Isles and accents and dialects for stage and screen. My guest next month is Micah Espinosa, professor in the School of Film, Dance, and Theater at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. Professor Espinosa will be parsing the terms in the linguistic constellation that includes Spanish, Hispanic, Latina, Latino, Latinx, and the issues of interest that arise from them in theater and film and the wider world. Next time in a manner of speaking.